0: somebody's excited. Man, God was moving. Man, that was a powerful time of corporate intercession. If you're new to New Philly, one thing that we, um, it's so entrenched in our church and, and into New Philly is prayer. It's actually not even one of our nine core values, but we believe that prayer is so essential that we didn't put it in our core values because all we do is pray. I'm not going to talk about prayer today, but man, that was powerful. I just felt like God was setting people free. Amen. Yes. I was telling Pastor John Michael, I was like, I was leading Sunday swim and I was like, after Sunday swim, our prayer meeting, I was like so tired. I was like, it's been a while since I've led prayer. <laughs> And it's been a while since I've stood up here on the pulpit. And over the past three months, the Lord has put me on a journey. And today is meant to, I feel that the Lord wants to include you on the things that the Lord has been leading me through. That the Lord wants to release revelation, but not just revelation, but he wants to empower you, equip you and establish you in a way that When you leave this place today, you won't just think differently, you'll live differently. You know, God's desire for us is not just simply to have revelation. Revelation is only a means to an end. And that end is for us to live differently. It's for us to live in such a way that we would reflect his glory everywhere we went. Everywhere we go, every person that sees us, they wouldn't just see us. When I'm on the subway, people see me and I'm pretty convinced they see a black person. It's like people are agreeing like, I'm not sure. Can I laugh? He he made a black joke. Is that okay? It's okay. There's freedom here. It's so that when we go out, people look at us and they don't see just us. They see God. And today I want to talk to you about sonship. I know that many of us, we've, We've heard about sonship. oh, it's funny speaking of sonship, I actually got a new phone um but it's a it's a Samsung galaxy. If you know anything about our church, Pastor Christian, he loves Apple, and he's like the Samsung he's like Samsung's demonic <laughs> It's not demonic per se um, but uh yeah, I got a new phone, and I didn't get an iphone I got a a Galaxy S3. Oh my God. <laughs> hey, church, this phone's the bomb. Oh yeah. I don't know. That's not what I want to talk to you about. <laughs> Pastor Christian saw my phone and he grabbed it. and he was like, this is rebellion. And then he began to look at it and he was like, this is beautiful rebellion. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, that's good. I want to talk to you about sonship. And sonship is something that we talk about all the time here at New Philly. We talk about what it means to be a son of God. We talk about submission. We talk about obedience. We talk about what it means to be a son. But I want to tell you today that sonship is not just about addressing your father issues. Sonship is not about you being able to feel better. Maybe that God's your father now and maybe your father wasn't as good as you wanted him to be. My testimony, I didn't meet my dad till I was 13. And then he was around for two years and then he was gone again. And I never saw him. I haven't seen him since. And when I started to hear about the message of sonship, it began to touch a deep place in my soul. Yes, I finally have a father. I have a father figure. I have someone that can make me feel safe and sow into my life and address these areas, these deep voids inside of me. Sonship is about that. But I want to tell you today that sonship isn't just about that. Sonship is about things that are so much greater than that. God is your father, right? He is our father. When the disciples asked Jesus, how are we supposed to pray? He said, pray like this, our father. And we recognize that sonship is about the restoration or the restoration of fathers and sons. But today, I want you to know that sonship is also about the restoration of kings and princes. Sonship is about you learning to live like royalty. See, for many of us, we don't understand that. When I said royalty, you started thinking about Cinderella. When I said royalty, you started thinking about a Disney movie. Because most of us don't understand what it means to live a life like a prince. We don't understand how to walk the earth in such a way with dignity, with honor, with purpose, with destiny, with power. That people would see us and they would know that we are royalty. But I want to tell you something about our father. He's not just our father. He's not just our God. He's not just our creator. He's not just our peace, our righteousness, our shalom. He's also our king. And if our father is the king, what does that make us? Exactly. Somebody's getting it. First John three says, how great is the love that the father has lavished upon us, that we would be called children of God and that we are, we are children of the most high God, not just children of the most high God, but children of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the ruler of all creation. The word of God says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. It says that he is enthroned upon the praises of his people in revelation chapter four in isaiah six when they saw god you know where they saw him they saw him sitting on a throne because he's a king and you and i that makes us royalty because jesus went on the cross to make us sons of god and not just sons but princes. Romans 8, it says that we have not been given the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. But not just that, but it says that because we are sons, we are now what? Heirs. We have an inheritance. And our inheritance, it's so big. It's not just words. It's it's so huge. In Psalm chapter 2, it says, Ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. But you know that only royalty can possess a nation as an inheritance. A pauper doesn't get a nation as an inheritance. Just an attendee doesn't get the nations as an inheritance. Just someone who just became a Christian and I'm just going, I don't understand who I am, but... I know that god's bought me i 'm going to continue to live in this this shame and condemnation. they don 't receive the nations as inheritance, but princes do and we actually see this all throughout the Bible. We see Moses and Aaron you know aaron god God looked at Aaron and he looked at Moses as so much of being royalty that he told them exactly what aaron was supposed to wear aaron was i don't know the right word to use i almost used some ghetto terminology just now and i stopped myself uh charles who's here today he's one of our interns from living hope and this is actually his last sunday with us but as he was here we went and got him some fitted shirts and at first, when, he, at first when he, we told him about the fitted shirts, he's like, I don't want no fitted shirts. I don't need no fitted shirts. Don't give me no fitted shirts. Because, you know, in Korea, a guy can get a shirt custom made for like 30 bucks. It's like, it's a steal. Not a steal, because we don't steal, but it's a deal. And then he got that first shirt, and he put that thing on, and he was like, Whew. You know? He was walking back and forth, and then he went and got like two more shirts. (laughs) It was like him getting a taste of what it means to be royalty. Because in the Bible, what you see with Aaron was that God said exactly everything that Aaron was supposed to wear, from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. God doesn't do that with just anyone. He does it for royalty. He does it with us. He clothes us with garments of praise, robes of righteousness. We see this with Joseph. Joseph, out of nowhere, becomes second in command to who? Pharaoh. And now he's governing the entire land. Prime minister, a prince in the land. We see this in the book of Esther. As Esther goes from nowhere to becoming what? A queen. We see this with David. We see this with Solomon. You know, the book of Proverbs, I just thought it was like wise sayings. I thought like It was just the holy version of like ancient Chinese parables or something. (laughs) If you're Chinese, I'm sorry. Don't be offended. I was just saying. That's what I thought Proverbs was for so long. And then it hit me. The book of Proverbs is a king teaching his son how to rule. When you read it, it's Solomon writing to his son and he's saying, you're going to take over the throne soon. You're going to rule. You're going to be the one who takes my place. You are a prince, and I'm going to teach you how to rule. Proverbs 31, you know, a lot of sisters just think that that's just good suggestions. No, that was a father telling his son. Don't be going around messing with no adulterous women. He said, you're a king. You need to look for a queen. And this is what she's going to look like. When Jesus walked the earth, you know what Jesus was doing? You know what discipleship was really all about? It was about teaching them, teaching these apostles how to live like royalty in the land. When Jesus walked with them and they were following him, he was showing them, you're going to rule soon. I'm going to go to the father soon and I'm going to leave with you my Holy Spirit. But it's something that you have to steward what Jesus says to us now. He looks at you and he says, you're not just anyone. I didn't pay my precious blood for you to just think that you are lost in the crowd. I paid my precious blood that you would be royalty. Church, are you hearing me today? You have to get this. You have to get this. Because this season that we're in, in building the house of God, it cannot be built by slaves. God will not have his kingdom be expanded by slaves. He will only have his kingdom be expanded by sons and daughters, by princes and princesses. Those are the only ones that he can entrust to rule. So how do we live like a prince? You know, when this revelation hit me and God had been leading me through it step by step. And all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks. Sonship is about learning to live like royalty. And then the first thing that came to mind was, man, I need to learn how to speak differently. (laughs) It made sense why in Proverbs it said life and death is in the power of the tongue. Because for a prince, when you spoke a word, when you spoke a word out over someone, life and death was literally in those words. When you cursed someone, they were cursed. And when you blessed them, they were blessed. That's why in James, even James tells us that the tongue is a rudder. That it leads us in the way of our lives because for a prince, what he said led the destiny of an entire nation. So I want to talk about three ways, three characteristics of a prince. And the first is self-government. I'm going to explain what this means. When I say self-government, I mean self-control. I mean discipline. Our generation, we don't like to hear words like discipline. We don't even like to hear words like control. (laughs) It's like, hand me the remote control. What'd you say to me? (laughs) I said remote control dog, like calm down. That was kind of (laughs) corny. It's about self-government because a prince, because royalty is meant to rule. But you can't rule anything if you can't rule yourself. I don't want to spend too much time talking about this, but because Sky and Gina, Gina, our sister Gina Kim, Pastor Sky and our sister Gina Kim and and Pastor John Michael, every time they got up and they were preaching, they were talking about self-control. You may not have thought that when you heard them talk about stuff like obedience and submission. But but obedience and submission, we misunderstand what obedience and submission is about. You know that obedience and submission is actually about, it's not about someone trying to control you. It's about you learning how to control yourself. I meet with Pastor John Michael for accountability. And the things he holds me accountable for are like things that we would think are basic He's like, go to sleep on time. Budget your money. Don't eat so much pizza and fried chicken. <laughs> yeah, I know Charles. That's hard. Cause we love fried. We love pizza. <laughs> and he he would he would he would ask me or he would sometimes command, or he would tell me to do certain things. And at first, at first glance, we begin to think that submitting to someone, being obedient is all about someone trying to control us. Why are you telling me what to do? Who, why, who are you to try and control me? <laughs> but we misunderstand obedience and submission because when that word goes out from that man or woman of God, the choice is really yours. And then what begins to happen inside of you is a war. Because then you have to decide, will you learn how to walk in self-control? Will you learn how to take your mind and your will and your emotions and begin to shift it under what this man and woman of God has said to you? Or will you let your mind and your will and your emotions govern you? Proverbs 16.32 says, it says that whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. You can't govern anything bigger than yourself if you can't first learn how to govern your own mind, your own will, and your own emotions. God can't entrust you with the nations if your mind and your will and your emotions are the things that rule you. That anytime someone says something, you get angry. Anytime someone asks you to do something, you don't do it because there's something else you want to do. When someone walks up to you and says, be encouraged, you can't be encouraged because your mind is in control. See, when a person has learned self-control, when they learn to shift their mind and their will and their emotions under what God is saying to them, then God can entrust them with more. Because God knows then that they won't pervert what God gives them for their own satisfaction they won't use what god gives them for their own sustenance but instead they'll use it in a way that god tells them to do it says in proverbs 22 29, it says do you see a man that is skillful in his work he will stand before kings he will not stand before obscure men I know many of you in this room, you want to stand before kings. You want to go to the high place. You want to rule in the business mountain. You want to go and be known in the entertainment mountain. You want to go to these high places. But God says, you need to learn how to be the word in the Hebrew. When it says to be skillful in your work, that means to be diligent and self-controlled in what God gives you. God can't give you the nations if you can't wake up on time. I just got convicted. (laughs) And sonship is all about teaching us how to live in that kind of self-control. It's all about teaching us how to live in such a way that we can begin to walk in the destiny that God has us. The scariest thing is for God to give you your destiny when you're not ready for it. The scariest thing is for you to be catapulted into a high place when you don't have the character inside to hold it. But that's why God sends you spiritual fathers. That's why God sends you people to oversee your soul. So that you will learn how to govern and rule your spirit. So that then you can take a city. Everyone say self-control. The second thing I want to talk about is servanthood. Everyone say servanthood. Servanthood. Turn to turn to the person next to you and say, "I'm going to be your servant." servant. (laughs) (laughs) Serve me. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter ten. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to read verses 35 to 45. I'm just going to read it. I want you to read along. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want for me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Stop being stupid. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism that with which we are baptized? And Jesus said, and they they said to him, we are able and Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. I'm going to try and skip through hurry. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. They were haters. And Jesus came to them and said to him, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all, servant of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I told you earlier that even Jesus with his ministry with the disciples was about teaching them how to live like royalty, right? And we have in this scene, we have James and John, and they roll up to Jesus and they're like, yo, Jesus, we know that you're the king. You can tell they recognize that because if they didn't think that Jesus was the king, if they thought he was broke and they thought that he, wasn't, he didn't have anything, they wouldn't have went up to him and asked what they asked. But they said, Jesus, we recognize that you are gonna be sitting in glory. You ever notice like, like I watched like the NBA draft And recently, like, and every time, like, a player gets selected, he's always got, like, those two friends that are next to him, those friends from, like, high school, and they're like, hey, what's up, bro? I saw you got drafted. You're a millionaire now. Can I live with you, you know? (laughs) That's pretty much what they did. They were a part of Jesus's posse, and they found out that Jesus was going to be sitting up in glory, and they said, Jesus, hey, what's up? Can, uh, Can we roll with you? Can we sit on your left and your right? You know what I'm saying? And the rest of the disciples, they look at them and they're like, look at these fools. They got indignant. Indignant not even like angry. Indignant's like, you are disgusted. Like they were just haters. They were just like, I can't believe them. Look at James and John asking to sit in his glory. You know, many of us are like that. We see someone who walks in the church and, and they believe that God has called them to be great. And we're looking at them. And we're saying, look at them. Who do they think they are? wanting to be all great and wanting to go to high places, whatever. And so much of the church has taught us for so long that you should not aspire to be great. You should not aspire to be royalty. You should not aspire to sit onto the right and to the left of a king. You should not look to rule. Who are you to do that? You're nothing. You're low. And that's what the church has told us for so long. But Jesus, in this story, he does not indict them for wanting to be great. He does not say, you guys are wrong to ask to sit beside me. You're wrong to ask to rule. Instead, he flips the script on them. And he says, listen, if you want to be great, then you have to be servant to all. Whoever wants to be first among you, must be servant to everyone. He says, in order for you to be great in the kingdom, in order for you to be at that high place, you have to learn how to be servant to all. What does this have to do with living like royalty? Who's the greatest in any kingdom? The king. And Jesus says that a righteous king, a righteous prince, a righteous ruler... Learns how to be a servant to as many as they possibly can. You know, I can often tell who comes into the house as a prince or as a pauper by how many people they are willing to serve. Because when a pauper walks in, a pauper comes in thinking that they lack everything. What do I have to give? And therefore, they're not looking to serve, they're looking to be served. Because they believe that they possess nothing and everything in their life is lacking. But someone who understands that they are a prince. Someone who understands that God has set them up. He's, God has taken them from the miry clay and he has set them up on high. They begin to walk in and they say, you know what? I'm not just going to serve you. I want to serve everyone. they begin to understand that the more people that they bless, the more people that they that they shepherd, that they lead, that they disciple, that they serve. That's the manifestation of greatness in the kingdom. You know, a pauper only has a ministry for one. I ask you how how many people What's your ministry? Well, I I don't really have a ministry. Who are you sowing into? Not really sowing into anyone. It's because you don't understand who you really are. But when you understand that you are a son of the king, you recognize that you have the resources of heaven to minister to everyone. And all doesn't just mean that it doesn't just mean the number of people here. Like you, you may be sitting here and now you're all feeling all bad about yourself because you're like, I only know 10 people. <laughs> all doesn't just simply mean all in terms of the number of people that are around you, but it also means all in terms of the generations that come after you. You know, a pauper only thinks in terms of his household. But a prince thinks in terms of the kingdom And in terms of generations. You know, when you read the great hall of faith in in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about how all of them were looking to something that they never saw. Their dreams and their visions were so much bigger than themselves. God wants to take you to the high place. God wants to take you and set you up on high to rule. But the question is, is it just for you? Or is it for others? Is it for the multitudes? The question is, is are you setting things up for generations? Everyone say servanthood. Servanthood. You know living like a prince like I said this has been a journey over the past three months and it all started with me having this this place in my heart where I felt like I didn't I felt like I was nothing and I felt like I lacked not knowing my father not knowing like growing up in an abusive household and I hit this point in my Christian walk where I began to feel like I began to actually feel the quote unquote void of not having a father. And I began to cry out to God and I was like, God, I looked at, at other brothers. I used to live with pastor John Newfeld, right? This guy's like crazy disciplined. He's like such a servant. And he like gets up at like six in the morning to pray and worship. And I get up at like eight 30 and I wake up to him like praying and worshiping. And I was like, what, this guy is a robot. But I realized after a while, I began to look at him and I was like, man, I began to realize that there was an inheritance that he was pulling from. There was inheritance, not just from his father and his mother, but from his great grandfather and his great grandfather, because he's he's Mennonite. (laughs) (laughs) And he was pulling from this long inheritance. And I realized that because he was pulling from this long inheritance and he began to honor that inheritance as far back, then what he had to give was that much greater to his children and his children's children. And I began to be like, God, what about me? What do I have? And that's when God began to say, son, don't you realize you're not just a son, you're a prince. And if you're a prince, that means you, you are an heir. And that inheritance goes so far back. It goes back to Genesis where he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, take dominion. When he says that the earth, it belongs to the Lord and the fullness thereof and all who dwell in it. But then he says, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. And God began to show me that we are meant to live completely different. And the last manifestation You're supposed to live self-controlled. You're supposed to live like a servant. And the last thing is that you're supposed to live like a priest. Part of being a prince is about living like a priest. You know, priests, I already talked about Aaron. Priests were always decked out. And priests were treated as princes. The importance of the kingdom of God was, it was so big that Solomon, he, he wasn't entrusted to build his house. You never hear about Solomon's palace, but we do hear about Solomon's temple. Because God wanted his people to learn to live like priests. Isaiah 60 says, they shall be called priests and ministers of our God. You know, 1 Peter 2.9 says that we are a holy nation. Right? That we're chosen and that we are a royal priesthood. And that means that you and I, when we step out into the earth, we are meant to govern it. That means that when we exit this place, we are meant to change things, not just here in this sanctuary, but everywhere we go. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter nine. See, ultimately, it's not just about self-government. It's not just about servanthood, but it's about expanding the kingdom. It's about expanding the borders of the kingdom of God. And as we're set up as royal priests in the land, we're meant to do so much more than just come to church on a Sunday. We're meant to do so much more than just even enjoy God's presence. We're meant to actually change things. In Hebrews chapter nine, it gives a picture of the temple. And see, when Jesus died on the cross, each and every one of us, we were brought into the priesthood of God. And the priests were synonymous with royalty. And it talks about how the the temple was set up. The temple was set up in such an amazing way that once that the priests were able to go into this place called the holy place, everyone say holy place. And inside of the holy place was where the priests would come in. And the priests would come in and that's where they would give, they would give sacrifices. I want you guys to wake up. I want you to follow me right now. Because this is actually really important. See, when Jesus died on the cross, what he did was he washed us clean. He, he was the sacrifice and he washed us clean. And the way that this temple was set up was that in order for you to get into the holy place, you had to wash and you had to give a sacrifice. And once you washed and you gave that sacrifice, you were able to go deeper and you were able to go into the holy place. And most Christians, we, have, we, all, well, we, we are all Christians. Hopefully. Once you accept Jesus, what happens is that his blood washes you clean. His sacrifice atones and it allows for you to go into the holy place. And inside of that holy place, as it says in Hebrews 9, was the lampstand and the bread of the presence. And that lampstand, that lampstand held what? Light. And that light represented revelation. And not only revelation, but also there was this bread called the bread of the presence. And that bread of the presence represented fellowship with God. It represented that you were able to not just be with god but you were able to fellowship with him through his word through his presence and you were able to get revelation in that place and that's where many of us live our christian lives we come to church on sundays and we read our bibles and we get revelation and we get touched and god and there's worship in in the holy place and we worship and we eat of the bread of the presence and we experience the light of his revelation and then we turn around and we leave and nothing changes on the outside You know, this happens because in Hebrews chapter nine, it talks about how the priest in the holy place had to continually go into the holy place. The reason they had to continually go into the holy place was because things on the outside weren't changing fast enough. They had to continue to give sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And for many of us, that's how our Christian walk is. We come to church on Sundays, we read our Bibles, we fellowship with God, we get some revelation every once in a while, we hear God speak to us. And then that's it. And then from Monday to Saturday, our lives don't look any different. The people we talk to at work, they're still just as annoying as they were the week before. The boss that we are so certain is persecuting us is still, quote unquote, persecuting us our family that we've been praying for, we're still not seeing the breakthrough happen. And we're wondering why it's not happening. And that's because we're still in the holy place. We're at this place where all we're doing is reading the word, getting revelation and eating the bread and just fellowshipping. And and many Christians think that that's all there is. I'm just going to spend time with God. I'm going to go to K1. I'm going to feel good. I'm going to go home. And then that's it. I'm going to worship. I'm going to feel goosebumps. And then I'm going to go home and that's it. I'll have my quiet time. I'll hear God speak to me. I'll experience the sweetness of being filled with his presence, but that's it. And I don't see transformational change in any other area. I don't see things around me changing. And the reason is, is because you can be a priest, but God doesn't just call you to be a priest. He calls you to be a high priest. Because there's a place in God's temple that is deeper than just being in the holy place. When Jesus died on the cross, it says that the veil was torn. And that veil was a veil that separated the holy place from the holiest of holies. Because when you go deeper, when you graduate, not just graduate, I'm saying, you when you begin to go beyond just coming on Sunday, just experiencing the revelation, just eating the word and that being it. When you begin to go deeper with God, you begin to govern with God. See, God doesn't just want you anymore just to just come in on Sunday and have a good time and then go home. He wants you to come in and be transformed and to go deeper with him and to hear his heart and then to turn around and go out and change the world. Because see, there wasn't just a holy place there was the most holy place and inside of the most holy place. There was the altar of incense. And the altar of incense represents the prayers of the saints in revelation chapter four. It talks about in chapter five. It talks about how the angels are holding a golden bowl and that golden bowl is filled with incense. And that incense represents the prayers of the saints, And also there was the golden urn of manna. That manna represented supernatural provision. See, many times we can spend all our time in that outside holy place hoping that God will provide. But it's not until you go deeper with God that you actually begin to experience his supernatural provision. I'll explain everything else that's in there. When you go in, in the holy in the most holy place, then there's the Ark of the Covenant. And then there on top of the Ark of the Covenant is the cherubim. And in and over the cherubim is is they said that's where God Himself is enthroned. And then there's the tablets of the covenant where the law was written. And not just that, but there was Aaron's staff that was budded. What do all these things mean? The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. That they took God's presence with them everywhere. And God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And many of us, we don't live as princes because we think that when we go into certain areas, God stops going with us. When we go into areas that we think are too dark, we stop governing because we think that God's power is not here. There was the, like I said, the manna, the supernatural provision of God. And there was Aaron's staff that was budded and that represented God's right authority. And. Each and every one of us, we're meant to go so deep with God that we go beyond just coming to church on Sundays. But we come in and we begin to learn how to govern as God governs. We begin to walk in his supernatural provision. We begin to walk in his supernatural authority. We begin to walk in his favor. We begin to walk with his presence with us everywhere we go. See, when Aaron would go into the holiest of holies, he would go in. He would meet with God and then Aaron would turn around and he would speak. And whatever he would say would be established in the earth. He didn't have to tarry day and night. He didn't have to continue to warfare day and night. He just had to speak and it was done. And God wants to take you to a place where you're no longer just on the outer course, but you begin to go deeper and you begin to turn around and you begin to govern as God governs. We've been praying for Itaewon to be changed. And when we walk through the streets of Itaewon, we still see prostitutes and we still see people walking around in bondage and we still see them. We still see them in the depths of their despair. And but we come here. And we're in that we're in the holy place. And we're fellowshipping with God and we're having a good time but nothing's changing. And that's because God's saying the time has come for you to stop just simply living in that area and for you to begin to go deeper, for you begin to rule, for you begin to govern, for you to begin to be princes, for you to begin to be royalty, for you to begin to be high priests. I want us to pray right now.